so today we're going to talk about our hearts. We're going to look at the beatitude. It, those were the sayings that Jesus said uh, to those who were following him on a mountainside, probably not all at one time, as we think he may have done, uh, but probably they were spread out over time. And today we're going to look at the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. And we've talked about the fact that the word blessed means a joy or bliss. So, oh, the bliss of those who are pure in heart and Today, we're going to challenge ourselves to look at pure in heart a little differently than maybe we have. It's not about uh, just being good people and, you know, not doing things that are wrong. It's so much bigger than that. And we are talking about breaking the rules. Jesus was the true iconoclast. He was the ultimate rule breaker. Icon means idol and classed meant to break it apart. So Jesus was the true iconoclast. He was the ultimate rule breaker. And so last Sunday, we passed out, so if you weren't here last Sunday, you're probably glad, we passed out index cards at the beginning of worship. And we also passed out ruler pieces. We are doing the ruler pieces every single Sunday. We want you to take them home, and we want you to remember that you are called to be a rule breaker. We are called to be rule breakers all together. And so if you will, raise your hand if you did not get a ruler piece this morning, and we have ushers that are willing to bring them down. So raise your hand high if you did not get a ruler piece. They will come into play at the end of the message this morning. We have a couple uh, down here and then a few over there. So now we also have some core values here at West. One of our core values is uh, to have fun. Raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you didn't get a ruler. Uh, We are all about having fun and so we asked you on your uh, index cards last week to share a rule that you have broken. And first of all, I want to say thank you because uh, you took it really seriously. And some of you shared some, some pretty intense things and you trusted me with that information and that knowledge. So I wanted to say thank you. That was actually very humbling. And then others, uh, we put some rules that we break. And so here's the deal. Last year, we gave away these stickers. And they said West United Methodist, and we encouraged you to put them on your car. I want to rescind that ask, actually. Uh, If you have it on your car, take it off, because uh, the majority of the rules that we break were traffic violations. And I mean, seriously, I don't know how many cards we got, but we, as a church family, we have some issues with our driving. And uh, that's why, frankly, in full transparency, I don't have one of those things on my car, and I never will. I know I'm not a great driver. I am aggressive at best at times if I'm in a hurry. So uh, clearly, I'm not the only one. So uh, we have some issues with traffic violations. So I thought it would be fun this morning, and also to make sure that you're still awake. Uh, Will you stand up with me, and uh, we're going to sit down based on rules. Okay, so stand up. None of these are really big, I promise. Nobody's going to be embarrassed. And if y'all will turn the lights back down now uh, so nobody will be able to see, you know, who breaks all the rules. So if you have never intentionally, and that's the key word here, intentionally violated a traffic law, will you be seated? If you have never 
And I love how you're being convicted by the people <laughs> around you. If you have never intentionally uh, broke a traffic law, okay, so clearly not very many of us. If you have never turned right on red, uh, and there's a sign that says no right on red, if you've never broken that law, you may be seated. Wow. Wow, okay. I got a ticket for that. Uh, turning down Brawley School Road there at Williamson's Chapel. You can turn left or turn right. So uh, just mind that sign. They sit there. You, you don't want a ticket. All right. If you have never sped more than 20 miles per hour over the speed limit, you may be seated. Embrace it. Very good. All right. See? Take the West stickers off your car. Take the West stickers off your car. Okay, if you have never fudged on an IRS receipt and said it was a business meal, a business deduction, and it really wasn't, you may be seated. Okay, if you've never embezzled money from the IRS, now you may be seated. Adam, you did not embezzle. But you didn't do it on purpose. You're one of our key leaders, lot. This is when it's okay to lie in church. Seriously, we all break the rules. Jesus broke the rules, but the rules that he broke needed breaking. And, you know, probably 20 miles over the speed limit unless we are out in the desert somewhere and there is no car to be found and the speed limit is like 10 miles an hour. Uh, we, you know, we break some rules that don't need breaking. But as a church, as a faith community, what if we actually look at the rules that Jesus encouraged them to redefine in their lives? And, and how can our lives be different if we start living out the rules that, that Jesus taught instead of perhaps the way that religion has understood rules over the years? Uh, religion started out in, in the Christian tradition with the Jewish people, and they had a lot of laws and a lot of rules that they followed. The scribes gave, gave detail to these broad principles that the Jews held on to, like the Ten Commandments. Then after that, there was this group of men, and they were called the scribes, and they would put semantics around all the rules, like honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to honor? What does it mean to rest on Sabbath? And, and they needed to give clarity to that. That happens in our society, too, when we have laws and, and people don't understand them, or we have rules in, in the places that we work or the schools that we go to, you know, and, and so in order to understand the rules, we give more clarity to them. We start adding details to them, and that's what happened with the Jewish people. Now, it's important to know and to remember, the Jewish people were waiting with great anticipation for God to break into history and, you know, have this messianic reunion, and they were going to be, uh, they were going to be the chosen people and their lives were going to be so different. They were waiting on God to do that and they thought it would happen and there would be this huge banquet 
So when Jesus was talking to the people, he used the analogy of a banquet a lot. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But I want us to think about the banquet that the Jews anticipated having. It was going to be this really, really, really big deal. And and God's kingdom was going to be at hand. They were going to feast on the sea monster called Leviathan. And and it was just going to be this great heavenly banquet. And they they were waiting on that. And they knew who was going to be at that banquet. And the answer to that was all the Jewish people. They were not expecting the Gentiles or anybody else to come into this banquet. It was theirs, only theirs. And so they started leaving people out. Have you ever known of some people that were having a party and you weren't invited How would that make you feel, or how did it make you feel? Probably not very good. We all want to be included in things, right? Well, the Jews had this idea that they were the chosen people and that God did not want anyone else to be a part of their kingdom or of God's kingdom. And so even when the temple was created, they had some, some hierarchy, and it's called the degrees of holiness. The Jews had 10 degrees of holiness. So we're going to put an image up on the screen, and this is a little bit of church history this morning. These 10 degrees of holiness started out with the the land of Israel and then the city of Jerusalem and then the Temple Mount, and that's where the temple sat. And then you would come, and then there were these, these different levels. This is an aerial view of what the temple would have looked like. You had uh, these courts, and, and different people could go into different places. And in order to get to the Holy of Holies that you'll see at the top of the picture, that was where the ultimate, the high priest could go. And only one person would go there and they would experience God and they believed that God's presence would descend and be in that holy of holy room one time a year with this high priest. So the further you got away from the holy of holies, the less holy you were and you were considered to be. So out here you have the court of the Gentiles. And now remember, the Gentiles were were different from the Jewish people. And so the Jews did did not think the Gentiles could go past this place. And there was this lattice stone fence, and it existed between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, which was considered to be the outer court. And, you know, the Gentiles, not everybody would even come to the Temple Mount because you had to have some really thick skin to be able to do that because people, the Jewish people, did not like the Gentile people. They thought they were unclean. They did not want them around them. So, You had to have some thick skin to have enough guts to even come up to the Temple Mount. But then past that, you had the court of the women. The women were one step above the Gentiles. And then past that, there was a woman's gate, the women's gate. The women could no longer go closer to the Holy of Holies. Then you would have the hall of the Israelites, the hall of the Jewish people. They could go through that gate and exist there. Then past that, you had the hall of the priest. And then you would just keep going on up to the holy place and then you would experience the holy of holies. And that's where the one, the sacred priest could go and could be. So this is what life was like in the time of Jesus. 
So when Jesus was sitting with his followers that day and he said, blessed are the pure of heart, he was trying to teach them, hey, Blessed are the people, the people that are going to see God, the people that are going to experience God are not who you think they are. Because you think it's all about you. And you think you're the man. Or you think you're the woman and you're special and only you are going to get to experience this God. And Jesus knew that that's how they thought. And he knew that that was a rule and a law that needed to be broken. So he says to them, blessed are the pure in heart. And what he meant by that, the word for pure, katharos, the Greek word, did not mean clean, even though that's what we have assumed it to mean over the years. It means pure and unchanged. It means of one substance, of one mind. So blessed are those who are of one mind, for they will see God. And what was that one mind supposed to be about? It was supposed to be about God. It was supposed to be driven toward thinking about and wanting to be with and wanting to experience God. And we know that God is love. Now, we all know that that is impossible because we're human, and so we can't, you know, earnestly want and and long for God every second of every day. I wish that we could. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said that we are going on to perfection. He believed that we could achieve that, that we could, you know, be of one mind and soul and body yearning for God. But it's it's really tough. And, And I know that I believe in what John Wesley said, but, you know, we are so human and we get so distracted, but Jesus wanted us to yearn for it. He wanted us to want it. And that was the law that he wanted them to to reclassify, to quit worrying about everybody else and judging everybody else to be holy or not, you know, not good enough. And they can't get this close to the temple mount and to the, the holy of holies because they've got stuff in their way. He wanted them to start looking inside at themselves. And so he told a story. He told a story about a banquet, and remember, banquets were big deals to them. So it was about this festival, and it was a dinner party. And in this story, the the master that throws the dinner party, this is a parable. Jesus would use parables, which were modern-day stories of things that they would understand to try to teach them something. In this parable, the master that's throwing the banquet is God. And so Jesus tells them, there's a man who's going to throw a great dinner party, and and he invited so many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guests, saying, come on in, the food is on the table. Now, back then during this time in Palestine, when they were going to throw a dinner party, they did it a little differently than we do in our society today. You knew that you were invited to the party. So you got the invitation, you got this, this invite, and you knew that you were going to be invited to the party, but you didn't know when it was going to be held. And so whenever the person who was throwing the party would get ready to actually throw the party, they would send their servants out to invite everybody and say, okay, hey, the party's happening tomorrow. 
It wasn't like they got a little RSVP with the date and the time and and you RSVP back. You knew that you were invited. You knew that you were chosen to come to the party. But then you didn't know that the party was going to happen until the servant came and said, hey, it's going to happen tomorrow. So that's what happens here. These people have been invited to this party and and we assume that they have RSVP'd yes. And so then the day comes and, and the guy throws the party. He sends his servant out. And then here's what happens. They all began to beg off, one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property. I need to look it over, uh, send my regrets. Another said, well, I just bought five teams of oxen, and I really need to check them out. So send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married. I need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly, get out into the city, go to the city streets and the alleys, collect all who look like they need a square meal. And remember, Jesus is telling the people, the religious people who were following him that knew all these rules and knew about the 10 degrees of holiness and the holy of holies, those are the ones that are sitting there listening to him tell this story. And he's telling this story because he's trying to get them to see that they need to break the rules. He tells them, go, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and the homeless and the wretched. Get every single one that you can lay your hands on and then bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded, and there's still room. The master said, Then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house so full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. What a beautiful picture of God and God's love. The table is open to everyone. The kingdom of God, that that messianic banquet that they were expecting, it's open to all people. You know, as, as Christ followers over the last several centuries, we have become pretty darn focused on who is holier than others. And who's closer to God than others? And who's better than others? And you know, church has been a place where it's been used to keep people out. And that's been the focus instead of worrying about how to let all people in. Have you ever heard somebody judge someone else because of tattoos? Ironically, this morning on the way in, there was this radio poll about can people with multiple tattoos land a high-paying job? Jesus would have said they should be paid equally and they should be hired equally. But, you know, in church and in religious worlds, We have criteria of what a good Christian looks like, right? 
based on our idea and our concept of, of sin. And then we start passing judgment. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, just anything goes. I mean, if you're a, a, a pastor, you know, I would hope that I try to live according to, you know, like a, a high standard. And certainly you want me to abide by the laws and things like that. Leaders in a church, we have the same expectation. It's not like just a free-for-all and, you know, just go do whatever the heck you want to. And then you get to, you know, make the decisions for the, for the faith community. But, you know, past that. As your pastor, as leaders of the church, it is not our job, it is not my job to judge. And nor is it yours. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those that are one-minded in yearning for God. And how do we know what's really going on in somebody's heart? Maybe they're not quite as holy as we think they should be, but we don't know what's on the inside. Only God knows that. Jesus did also say, you know, judge not lest you you be judged. Maybe that's something we should live by. The book that spawned this message series was called Sacrilege by Hugh Halter. And Hugh does research with Alan Hirsch, who is like leading this movement across the world that, you know, Christianity is not dead. If you go in Europe and you see the big cathedrals, you know, so many of them are empty because Christianity is a dying religion there. And in some places in our culture, it seems to be too. If you ask people, like the Barna Research has done, the Pew Center Research has done, they will tell you that they are spiritual, but they're not religious. Why? Well, they don't want to be a part of an institution that worries more about keeping people out than letting people in. That's why I think it's really cool that we have a rubber chicken on our stage. It symbolizes that all people are welcome. It doesn't matter what you look like and how you come across to others. What matters is your heart. We believe that that's up to God to judge. I want you to take a look at the verse as it is phrased in the message. This is a modern-day translation, a little different from the NRSV. You're blessed... When you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right, because then you can see God in the outside world. Getting our inside mind and heart right means that we yearn for God and love. That's the bottom line. We need to weigh everything else against that. Are we acting in love? Are we living in love? Are we being people of love in all things? Oh, the joy of those who live a life of love, for they will see God who is love. It's interesting in this parable that Jesus told, you know, they were so busy, so, so busy, that they missed out 
on this beautiful banquet. That's why we love having online worship. So if you're not able to be here, because worship is a part of who we are called to be as Christ followers. If you can't be here in person, you can listen to the podcast or you can worship online. And we have such a a strong worshiping community online and we are so grateful uh, for you. Many of you, that's the only way you worship. You don't live here and you're connected to this faith community digitally. And we think that's really powerful. We can't be too busy for God. But they were, and they missed out. What is standing in the way of us being pure in heart? Are we judging? Is that standing in the way? Do we think we're just a little bit better? Or are our motives driven by uh, dual purposes? Do we do things so we'll look good and so we'll feel better about ourselves? Or are we doing them because really it's what God is calling us to do and we have this burning passion and that's really all it's about? And do we carve out time for our faith? And do we let ourselves be driven by that? Oh, the joy of those who are pure in heart. How our lives can be so much more full if we are. A friend of mine planted a church in South Florida, and it was going well. Things were successful. They'd had uh, a staffing change, and so it was time to hire a new worship leader. This gentleman was wickedly talented. He was a great singer. He could play multiple instruments. And my friend shared that this was exactly the person that he thought that they needed. His his initial interview, his theology was in sync with where the church was. Uh, He had some tattoos. And it turned out he had a record. He had been arrested when he was a teenager He ran around with a group of friends that were perhaps not the best of influences on him. And they stole some things at the mall one day. If you don't know what a mall is, it's this large building. And there are stores in it and it's under one roof and you go to that. They're not very popular anymore. He stole and so they got arrested. So he he had a record. The pastor had interviewed him, and then their leadership team that did the hiring interviewed him, and they all liked him. And then it went before, like, the church board. And there were, like, 30 people in this administrative council, and someone had done some homework on the young man. And so in front of everyone, this person spoke up and said, we can't have him leading our people to experience God. He has a criminal record. Someone else spoke up and said, well, you know, he was you know, in high school and he made a mistake. He owned it with us. He even told us about it before we found it in the background check. He knows what he did was wrong and it was many years ago and there's been nothing since. He feels called to ministry. He feels called to lead people, to experience God. You could see in the room the people start to whisper and mutter amongst themselves. It came to a church council vote. 
and they would not hire him. My friend told me he felt like that was the biggest, you know, leadership mistake he had made in his tenure at that church that he should have just been adamant and said, we are going to give him a chance. But you know what? God is a God of redemption, and there are people that live by that, that rule that Jesus reclassified, blessed are the pure in heart. Because he went to another church, he got the job, He stayed there for 10 to 12 years, I believe, and then he uh, went through all the process and became a pastor and now leads a very vibrant United Methodist Church in Florida. Blessed are the pure in heart. When Jesus died, the curtain, the veil that hung in that holy of holies room, it ripped in half the barrier was taken down. There are no barriers between us and God's great love. There are no barriers between us and God's amazing grace. We are not called to put barriers up for other people of any kind. Let us pray. Gracious God, may we hear your call to explore our own hearts. May we acknowledge that you have broken down all the walls and barriers for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that we can claim that power for ourselves. And then let us go share that love and that grace and that power with all people, regardless of past and history and looks and all those kinds of things. God, you are an amazing God, and we give you thanks and praise for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you have your ruler. Um, I'm going to stay up here, and as the team sings the first verse of the song, I want you to stay seated, and then I want you to write on your ruler how you are going to live out being pure in heart moving forward. What can you do to break a rule so that you will start living just one step differently for Christ? And then uh, as we sing, I'll invite you to stand. But for now, I want you to focus on your ruler and some private prayer time with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, oh, the joy of us when we are single-minded in the way of God. May we go and may we seek to be pure in heart in all that we do and all the ways that we are being this week. May you go in peace in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.